0: Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 23 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on March 15th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost, and on this episode of XCP, we'll take a thoughtful look at the gaming industry's adjustments for conferences being postponed and or canceled. We'll examine the potential of esports to make use of this downtime in order to connect with fans. Several new games are dropping, and in the back half of the episode, we're chatting with solo indie developer Clinton McCleary about his recently released horror title, Infliction Extended Cut. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XCP, discussing all things in the gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And perhaps no news more impactful this past week than that of E3 2020 being cancelled in the wake of COVID 19 concerns. The coronavirus has indeed had near and far reaching implications in the gamerverse in the gaming industry we will likely not know the extent of those ramifications for some time but in the near future we do know that e3 has been cancelled not postponed cancelled and this brings about a number of different questions but let's look at what we know microsoft for their part is going to be hosting a digital event in order to replace their e3 2020 conference it looks like nintendo and square enix are reporting that they will do the same it was Xbox boss Phil Spencer who said, quote, in a tweet, rather, quote, E3 has been an important moment for Team Xbox. Given this decision, this year we will celebrate the next generation of gaming with the Xbox community and all who love to play via an Xbox digital event. Details on timing and more in the coming weeks, end quote. Now, this makes sense for quite a few reasons, not the least of which is hey, don't congregate while you're amidst the, the virus concerns and the world struggles to get a handle on just what to do in order to counteract it best. But avoiding large crowds is, of course, the mainstay, and that is indeed what E3 was. Lots of companies in the gaming verse deciding to come out and saying, hey, we'll do a digital event. We are planning to, to give you the information that we would normally give you. And a lot of companies are working to somehow try to mitigate the losses that would come from not having an E3. There's a lot of handshaking and business deal, uh, behind-closed-door type things that, that come into an E3. On the other hand, there's a lot of money that is saved by not having a show floor space, by uh, fans not having to spend money to go out there, and there's so many ways to interpret this event, uh, but we're going to go with only a few of them. The ESA, for their part, has stated that they also intend to have a digital version of the show, and the firm stating outright, quote, We are also exploring options with our members to to coordinate an online experience to showcase industry announcements and news in June 2020. Updates will be shared on E3Expo.com. End quote. End quote. Again, Sony was always to be an absentee, and Microsoft, they are now no longer on the wire to host a conference, at least not in physical form. The timing on these digital formats, those are going to be important, given that theoretically they're launching in new systems in 2020. Even that is in doubt right now, as all major companies are looking at what their manufacturing costs may be in order to get things up and running once coronavirus ramifications are understood and mitigated. If that's not the case, it's possible these systems could be delayed. However, I don't have real information on that, and it's pure speculatory aspects that are coming in with that. So for now, we'll hold off on that particular point. The question is, what would we want to see from Microsoft in a digital E3 event? What is it we want to see them and use and utilize in perhaps an inside Xbox? Or will they do a completely different event? Will they, will they retitle it all, all the way around? What does it need to be? And for my part... The power of having an E3 conference is that you dominate a news cycle. The power of having an E3 conference, as Microsoft was going to have it, meant that you were not going to have major competition from a first-party developer uh, in that week space or in that time frame, as Sony had said, that they would not be having an event anywhere near E3 that's all out the door now because e3 quite simply is not happening and any legality can get around saying hey we don't we this is not e3 we can put it whenever we like so microsoft needs to work now on having clear concise messaging for what their business plan is going forward in 2020 leading into 2021 and 2022 Uh, including manufacturing and what it is they plan to do with those systems. So in all likelihood, they're juggling a lot of things despite no longer having to plan uh, what builds to have at E3. Talk about floor space and timing of that show. They're now having to deal with other things. I'm unsure how they were and how they go about doing this but for my money my my mindset says keep things very simple with your primary Xbox series X discussion make that a one to one and a half hour display where you talk about all the relevant pieces of information that gamers need to know there start first with games discuss what types of games are going to be best on a series x don't say all because that's a tired narrative you're going to need something special you need another hellblade senua's saga Senua sacrifice method here you need to show off what makes a series x worth buying early as opposed to waiting until my older xbox no longer runs it but make that a one to one and a half hour event discuss pricing Discuss services. How does Game Pass impact my experience on the Xbox Series X Game Pass Ultimate? Does Xbox Live Gold still need to be relevant? Are you planning to transition away from that in the future? That needs to be uh, in your first discussion or in your primary focus discussion. Following that, gimme games. Lots of games. Talk about all the games that you can. And then in a separate digital event, a second digital event, perhaps a day or two days later... It's time now to spotlight those games that you would have showcased or would have loved to showcase had you had a uh, had you had a fan fest, had you had a stage where journalists could go up during media time and play those games. Give them the time of day. Show off tunic show off the things that i got to see last year at fan fest i i played darksiders genesis at a fan fest there was no line barely anybody seemed to know about it this is the time in a second digital event to show off the smaller games show off the the little improvements that you're making to stuff that's already known That would be my suggestion in that. I would also hope that in the midst of a digital E3 event, whatever that means for Microsoft or any other major publisher, first party or third party, whatever it may be, I'd like to see just a little bit of working together on some level, coordinate with your competition in the spirit of friendliness to rally around and have some good news in that a major industry event is effectively gone for right now. We'll talk about whether or not we believe it to be comeback at another time. But for now, it is effectively gone, null, and void. And so I would like to see some handshaking. I would like to see some... Virtual handshaking. that was a scare right there. I'd like to see some friendship and compatibility there. We have seen over the past two years, Xbox make a concerted effort to include discussions of their former competition in their marketing, Minecraft in their marketing on a PlayStation 4, Minecraft in their marketing on a Switch. Switch crossplay being shown, Ori on a Switch, discussing things about their friends in blue, their friends in red, tweets here and there. It's now time to extend that into the E3 space because all bets are off on what was traditionally going to be expected there, what you might have thought you would see on Microsoft stage. So, have several smaller events there and and show some camaraderie in between them second event being for smaller titles that we might miss focus focus test them do what nintendo has learned to do and say all right we're going to have a nintendo direct these are going to be the topics stick to that we don't need the the one more thing in the second and third events or the smaller showcases that you might do in your primary pull all the stops show off what you got There are rumors that are suggestive, like supported rumors, mind you, not just random internet speculation, that the WB would have been having their own conference for the first time uh, ever, I believe, and that they would be showcasing the new Harry Potter game, a new Batman game from WB Montreal, and finally showing us what it is that Rocksteady is doing. Maybe it's time to get those third-party publishers who are going to have their own digital event and work a way to have that stuff be shown off in your event somehow, some way. Not every single publisher, major publisher, needs their own digital event. Uh, I think sometimes that backfires. I I was at Bethesda's conference last year, sitting in the audience, bored to tears, only really interested in Doom Eternal, which I'm ecstatic for. But watching all this Fallout stuff, thinking, okay, this is not mass appeal, this is niche content. Is that overly relevant? So there's a lot to take in in all of this, but the simple fact is with E3 being canceled due to to a health scare, this in some ways, and we're looking at silver lining stuff, not trying to mitigate what it is that is a very serious concern, there are a lot of silver linings that can be extracted from it. And I think it's important that we as gamers continue to focus on the good that can come out of a frustrating situation. Uh, I, remind, I remind you that we do extra life every year as a gaming community and raise money for those who are suffering with cancer. One of the worst things to hit the human species overall and gamers rally and make it a good thing. Uh, When shootings occurred at an EA event, gamers rallied and helped raise funds for that. So I would hope to see another approach mentally, emotionally, that we silver lining look at it as a gaming community and find a way to Recover some good spirits, because hopefully by June there are some good spirits to be had, and let gaming be celebrated in that time. And I am not concerned about winning an E3 competition in this year. Now, when I look back at the previous E3s, I feel objectively that Microsoft has won the past few E3s, but it did very little in order to bring them market response in terms of Xbox units sold. I think Mindshare has done quite well. And going into Next Generation, Mindshare seems to be the method that that I'm so happy about. And I think part of that is the spirit of friendship, is the spirit of accessibility that Microsoft has been pushing. Play the games you want to play, where you want to play them, and it's our job to bring you into our ecosystem, whatever that means. And there's a lot lot of concepts with that. The general message here is that there's a lot to look forward to. To in how Microsoft reacts to a health scare and brings about showcasing their new technologies and their new games. A lot of the questions surrounding it will be, how do they go about it? Now, mind you, as those companies figure out how to go about announcing new technologies and new games going forward, in the very near future, bringing those games to us is becoming more of a challenge with a lot of studios asking their, their employees to work from home. And whether or not this has uh, ramifications that that reach into release dates or quality of life or perhaps teach some studios ways they could do things better not having communal spaces allowing families to work from home allowing developers to work from home this might be a, a method of learning a new me- way of game production now i say that again i'm trying very hard to look at silver linings but let's look at some remote work ideas Many companies, including Microsoft, are asking employees to work from home and they're implementing work from home policies uh, as a rule. Microsoft and Nintendo have done this and it's becoming a trend for a number of game studios. It was becoming a trend prior to COVID 19. Moon Studios stands out in my mind. They have an 80 plus team, uh, 80 plus member team, and they've worked remotely as a standard model, reconvening only once a year in person communally in order to, to bash heads together and figure out ideas. They're a studio that brought us Ori in the Will of the Wisps and Ori in the Blind Forest, and yet much of their work is indeed remote. I wonder if this is a trend on the planet, planet-wide scale, not just for the gaming-verse, but for companies overall, when they're able to. Does it save money? Will it help an indie developer in the gamer-verse? Will it help companies uh, find that they're more productive that way, less productive? What will we learn from the idea of remote work? Not every game, not every uh, game studio, developer, publisher is prepared for this on the technological side we know microsoft has uh, the best servers if not the best certainly one of the top two or three with the azure cloud but they have a OneDrive system that allows them to data share at, at very high speeds they might be more equipped for this than other companies maybe their first party xbox game studios are better equipped for this i am so interested for down the line to hear the GDC talks of, yeah, working remotely really did help us, or working remotely did not, and here's why. Here's what we lacked. Here's what we had that worked well. You know, Maybe the coalition is better outfitted with better resources than, say, something like the State of Decay 2 developers, than in exile, et cetera. That's the conversation that's going to be interesting to have down the line, which developers were able to, to handle that remote work idea And I think that's what's going to be most interesting. Todd Oxtra even wrote in asking about patches. How how will patches and expansions be impacted? And more interestingly, how will we see down the line companies that were not ready for this type of remote work? How will they adjust in future? What will they do to make themselves ready for another major event? And will it be cost-saving? Will this benefit us? That's what I'm looking forward to finding out going forward. However, it should absolutely go without saying that health and public safety is number one in all of this, regardless of timelines for new systems. I am absolutely happy to wait to get my new system, my new game, till 2021 or, or later in order for health and safety to be priority. That has to be the priority for everybody and the mindset going forward. There is no doubt that we all often complain as a gaming community about our backlogs. Take the opportunity, silver lining every bad situation that you can, and take advantage of it. Right now, I'm working my way through a brilliantly lovely backlog, and I am, I'm having a blast with it. I'm trying to make the best of a frustrating situation. And just added to that incredible backlog that I have as I work my way through Ori, as I enjoy playing Sniper Ghost Warrior contracts, which surprised me how much two new games were indeed added that I am absolutely having a ball with. Of course, Ori and the Will of the Wisps is a blast, but Call of Duty dropped a new set of modes For its Modern Warfare title, more interestingly about it is that it is free to play. Now, of course, the first is a battle royale, something that we expected in the wake of Call of Duty Black Ops 4's blackout mode, except that with the Modern Warfare mode called Warzone, it's free to play. Anyone can download it. Anyone can play it. That's an interesting conundrum there. That's an interesting idea. I've been playing quite a bit with uh, Kevin Butler and Mr. BadBit. Mr. BadBit has linked his Xbox account to his... Sony account, and he's getting cross-progression. Whenever he plays with us, he's not losing out on his character in another place. That's really cool, and that's exciting. As far as the mode is concerned, it feels to me to be very standard Battle Royale, and it didn't truly interest me more than playing Apex when it came to the the first-person shooter Battle Royale space. That's not what was most interesting to me, though I will say a lot of people are loving it. The other mode that dropped for Call of Duty was something called Plunder Mode, and this is Battle Royale for people who are not good at or don't really like the idea of Battle Royale, but they do have fun dropping in with their buddies. What's cool about Plunder Mode is you drop in with a strike team of three, which is perfect for my personal interests. You drop down and your quest is to get as much money as possible in the time frame and you're competing against 100 plus players in teams of three to collect that money. You do so by completing contracts, which is really going from point A to point B and scavenging money along the way. And it is awesome. If you die... You respawn. When you launch into the game, you have the loadout that you've pre-selected, so you don't need to scavenge for weapons. There are ways to augment and enhance your your experience, but when you die, you just respawn and drop back down with your friends, which is great for me, because I'm terrible at some video games, and I want to keep playing. And the objective is not to be the last man, the last team standing, it's to have the most money at the end of the timer. And that's really cool. You can go out you might have a big stack of cash and you want to balloon exit it from the, the map so that it stays safe to your personal bank account as you build towards a million dollars. You might want to carry way more than what can be carried in the balloon and go to a a helicopter extraction zone and load it onto a helicopter to be taken off the map. When you do that, of course, you put a target on your back and then teams will converge on you. Bounties can be played out. This is the exact kind of blend of competitive and co-op experience that I so enjoy in video games. I've talked quite a bit of late about how much fun I've been having in Battlefront 2's co-op mode because as I age, I believe it's strange. As I get into my mid-30s, I find myself less inclined to be competitive in games. I don't really enjoy the kill-death-ratio attack mode. I don't like going out there and trying to be the absolute best player and, and matching myself with a young 12 up-and-comer, 12-year-old up-and-comer, up-and-comer with Twitch reactions and incredible abilities. No, that's not me any longer. I was once that gamer no longer. I like to just jump on, play with my buddies, and have great co-op experiences. And if there's a bit of competition in that, that is fine but I don't want to lose out on just hanging with my friends and having a conversation. And Plunder Mode absolutely gives me that. It's another example of, I don't know if accessibility is the right word, but it is the word I'm choosing. There's an accessibility to Plunder Mode and Call of Duty that makes me think, hey, this is free for all of you guys. If Battle Royale is intimidating to you, but you like the idea of a first-person shooter, the military first-person shooter, and maybe you just want to jump in and see a bunch of numbers on screen go nuts and try and scavenge and run around – uh, and know that if you die, you'll just spawn back in. Maybe this is for you. Maybe this is, is your game. This is certainly my game. This is the most fun in a Call of Duty game I've had in years. And I do like Call of Duty for all its flaws mon- on a monetization-style program, for all Activision's plunders when it comes to the, the political space and how they treat employees. When I, when I look at Call of Duty as a franchise, removed, I, I do like Call of Duty, campaign and all. But plunder mode? Yeah, this is my most favorite experience there. So hats off to Activision on this one. Hacks off to the hard people or the the hardworking people that brought us this mode. And this to me is way more fun than a standard battle royale. Another game that seemed to drop at an opportune time. Given again, we need we need the silver linings here. State of Decay 2, Undead Labs just launched and and revitalized their State of Decay franchise. With the Juggernaut Edition, it's a free upgrade for all owners of State of Decay 2, whether you're getting it on Game Pass or otherwise. Now available on the Epic Store, Steam Store, State of Decay 2 has been upgraded to the Juggernaut Edition, and this is not a simple upgrade for just Game of the Year or include all the DLC. It does include all of the DLC, but in a blog post they said that several strike teams have worked for months to create a new system of heavy weapons added into the game. They've completely refreshed the UI. The main menu has been reworked. They have remastered the graphics of State of Decay 2, and it looks gorgeous. There are new lighting effects. They've improved and added new audio. they changed the way that new players learn when they enter into this apocalyptic world. State of Decay 2 got a remaster, and it was done so quietly. I'm super, super excited to see more people checking this out, because State of Decay 2 had a, had a, had a tough go of it when it first launched, I believe in 2018 in that it was asked to carry it was asked to carry an exclusive slate and be a tentpole title when it simply was not going to be that. Undead Labs was a small studio, it was not yet part of a fully funded Xbox game studio endeavor. And their games were known for having some jank to them. Really fun zombie survival experiences, a lot of base building, a lot of construction and crafting and, and people have a lot of fun with it. But asking it to be a tentpole AAA franchise is an unfair ask, and I think it was overlooked or condemned by some communities too early. Or maybe it wasn't given a fair shake because of Microsoft's fairly weak exclusive slate. Undead Labs kept going, props to Xbox Game Studios for funding and doing this, and now they have brought the Juggernaut edition, upgrading everybody to it. I'm so excited for this. I want more people to check it out because I loved State of Decay 2. That was one of my favorite games of that year. might have been 2017. I'm talking myself into a corner here. But it was one of my favorite games of that year. Was it perfect? Was it polished? No. It needed a lot of attention, but there was a lot of fun that I had with it. If a now more polished version is available, I am ecstatic to go back in and check it out. So, again, Silver Linings, if you're able to take some time and you're interested in State of Decay 2, pop up that Game Pass and have a go with the Juggernaut Edition. In last week's episode, I talked about my review of Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and a majority of that play at the time of that recording had taken place prior to the day one patch, and I've gone back in and I've been enjoying my time still, like I've put hours into this game, it's beautiful, it's near immaculate level design, impeccable art design, and I continue to be impressed with both level and art, along with the music but I did not play with the Day 1 patch when I brought you the initial review, and I wanted to let you guys know that after having put in many more hours post-Day 1 patch— my experience has not changed much. I'm still getting performance issues here and there. I'm still incredibly imp- impressed by the platforming. I'm still loving this game to the nth degree. I think all the high praise it's getting, I know a lot of the Metacritics are, are juggling it around the, the 90-ish range, up or down a point here and there. None of that matters. I'm telling you what, guys. This game is beautiful. It gets hard towards the latter portions of this this uh, match. I think I'm 10 10, a little bit more than 10 hours in, perhaps. Uh, I've discovered quite a bit of the map, but it goes, it it plays faster. Like, you'll be at a low progression rate early on, despite a lot of hours in. And then as you gain abilities, it, it like, lightning fast up. You get more collectibles, you get more this, more that. And it it picks up pace very quickly. uh, And only the narrative tends to slow you down. If I had to complain about anything in it, I would tell you that sometimes it's a bit hard to figure out where to go what it is to do next because the game is indeed open-ended it doesn't give you a you must go here to progress it gives you a few options and I, I struggle with that. now I said also last week that if you pay attention to the world it gives you clues the entire time and that's true but when I'm exhausted at one in the morning because I'm playing too much Ori because I love it I'm missing some of those clues and maybe I'm just an old curmudgeon but I'm struggling with that a little bit maybe that's on me But uh, the game does get tough, and I'm having a blast with it. I'm telling you, it's a must-play for every Xbox Game Pass owner. Pop it down to easy if you need to. Enjoy some of that art. If it gets too hard, all right, you've gotten uh, at least the enjoyment of seeing the game. But the music, the art, oh, goodness gracious, or in the Will of the Wisps, do not sleep on it. It's an interesting question that was posed in this past week, and it's that in the absence of live sports amidst the coronavirus stuff, will eSports rise? And it sounds so like meta to say, will eSports rise? And I have, I, I know what is being implied, but it does just sound funny when you say it. A lot of eSport events actually take place in communal settings where, where the athletes come together and they play in a communal setting, and that won't be happening. Even Call of Duty League... Uh, they canceled a number of their events until a certain date, and that that part doesn't really matter. But what I am – I was fascinated by the idea of the question, and I would love to see that if a lot of the esports events are canceled, as regular sports are – because of the unique nature of esports and that you can play them in isolation via, and play via streams, and you can't be competitive, you need that, that, that latency to be a concern in, in ranked matches. But perhaps you see streamers or the Call of Duty League or, or Dota Leagues, whatnot. Instead, host informal tournaments where you play with fans or informal things where settings don't matter as much and you're not too worried about winning grandiose pots of money. But you maybe can put your athletes on display and build some community via esports, have some informal things, fundraising things, or or just give fans a chance to connect with those athletes again outside of their own personal streams. Because I'm sure many of those elite esport athletes have their own personal channels that they promote and they work with here and there. Uh, and it's not something you can do with like the NBA or the NHL. You can't just get on the ice or the court uh, when you're meant to be in quarantine or in isolation. But you can do that from your computer, from your console. And so I'm curious to see if esports will find a way to capitalize again on a bad situation, not for mass profit. That is not what I'm what I'm touting. But maybe find ways to connect with your fans. Maybe find ways to use this time where people have to be at home and. Find a way to promote your product, promote your brand in a healthy and fun way. How cool would it be to play with an esports athlete from X team or Y team? Not just stumble across um, a streamer that you know in a match, but celebrate, enter into it, and have a good time with it. I would love to see uh, some esport manner discussion come down a, a month, two months from now, and, and hear a feel good story or two about people getting to hang out and play with these pro teams, learn something uh, from these athletes. I think that'd be a good time. Again, trying the my best to find uh, silver linings and possible ways that the gaming community can enjoy and celebrate amidst uh, a world crisis that we don't quite understand. And it's going to be a tough conversation, a tired conversation. Goodness gracious, I'm tired of hearing uh, those words the illness and virus, coronavirus, COVID. I'm tired of hearing that, but it will not go away likely for the, the very near future, and so finding a way to adjust our way around it is important. Again, I talked about all the games that I'm playing right now. I still haven't touched Yakuza, and I'm so excited for it. Doom Eternal and Resident Evil 3 are on the horizon for me. Uh, A game, a smaller game that that was made by a team that was trying to emulate Resident Evil, Uh, they're coming out with theirs in April called Daymare. I'm super excited for that. And we are fortunate in a world of digital distribution to have access to a number of games without necessarily going into communal spaces. And so... For digital gamers, there's a lot to enjoy here, and thankfully Game Pass provides where, where your finances might be tight. And I feel like we say that quite often too when I when you without a health scare, Game Pass provides, and it really does. Juggernaut Edition is there, Ori is there, Halo is there, Gears is there, Forza is there, Witcher is there, etc. It goes on. I still want to dive into Yakuza, goodness gracious. I I don't know how to slow down the pace of games that i want to play consume stream but i know that i'm enjoying the conversation with you guys each week and that has been my absolute favorite part of this show i say it every week and i want to continue to say it thank you all for listening to this show uh for rating it on itunes which seems to matter a lot uh when it comes to to expanding the show to different people i've had a chance to be a guest on a number of different podcasts in our community and if you're part of a podcast community or you would like me to guests on your podcast community, it would be a pleasure and an honor to continue trying to share XCP with more people because it's something that I take great joy in and I have a blast with. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost or on Mixer at Mixer.com slash InsipidGhost. Uh, That's where you find me in all places. But now I'm going to transition you to one of my favorite parts of XCP, outside of connecting with you guys, and it's interviews with developers, publishers, creators. This week, I'm very fortunate that I get to talk to uh, a gentleman by the name of Clinton McCleary, who is a one-man development studio from Australia. It's a super cool story. He brought a first-person horror title called Infliction extended cut to the Xbox store recently. It's also available on PlayStation 4. Uh, There's a Switch port coming. There was an initial PC title that was not the extended cut out there. But it's a first-person horror style that might remind fans of PT or Outlast, perhaps layers of fear. But Clinton has a really cool story in that He's never played those games. He's a solo developer. We found a way to work through a 16-hour time difference and, and sit down for a Skype call and talk about first-person horror, uh, the protagonist that he creates and how players go through this game, why he scared the death scared me to death on and off stream with his title, um, the goods and the bads that come from being a solo developer, and he also works at a publishing company uh, outside of that, that one-man studio that he's created, which is in his free time. So many cool things, and I love picking the brains of these wonderful interview uh, guests that, that are willing to come on the show. And I've got a few of them lined up that I am so excited to talk to you about when I'm able to talk to them. I don't want to leak too many of them, but we have some pretty cool names from, from throughout the game history coming down, big and small. Uh, and if you've got somebody that you want me to, t- to check out, please let me know. You can DM them to me. You can get them in contact with me. You can just let me know, hey, will you reach out to this person, bring them on the show, and have a conversation with them about this Uh, i'm ecstatic for that bring that bring that to my attention i would love that for now though i will turn the rest of this episode over to clinton mccleary and a former version of myself as we talk about the title infliction extended cut a first person horror survival game have a great week guys enjoy Well, we are very fortunate now to welcome Clinton McCleary, a one-man studio and game developer known as Caustic Reality, most recently releasing the horror title Infliction Extended Cut onto PlayStation 4 and, of course, Xbox One. Clinton, thank you so much for joining us, man.
1: Ah, oh, Pleasure to be here, Luke.
0: It is an honor because you are down under in Australia, so we had to make time zones work. And, uh, and find a way to get to connected, but I'm so glad we did. If you would, man, before we even dive into infliction, tell me a bit about yourself and Caustic
1: Reality. Sure. Well, um, I was working a regular job many years ago now. I used to listen to a lot of gaming podcasts and things like that, and I didn't have any gaming friends to talk to about gaming, so, you know, it was very much my own hobby, and, um, you know, I guess my outlet for it was listening to podcasts and hearing you know how much fun people were having as communities elsewhere not around me <laughs> i decided at that point that i really wanted to get into the development side of things and meet some like-minded people and that's kind of where it started for me so i uh, the the other point i should say is that i played a indie title called gone home around this time as well mm-hmm. and really thought oh you know i really enjoy the mechanics of the storytelling in that game and wanted to create something like it but wasn't really sure at the time and I uh, didn't know too much about game development, so yeah, started studying game development from there, and yes, yeah, several years later uh, infliction was sort of born, and um midway through development, I needed to come up with i needed to publicly announce that I was releasing this game, and I needed some sort of moniker to do that under, and I didn't feel particularly comfortable, you know, saying that it was a game by me with my name out there or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I racked my brain for about a year, came up with maybe 50 different names, and they were all taken, <laughs> until eventually uh, Corsic Reality popped into my head and, you know, I just turned to my wife and said, well, what about this name? And she's like, it's really weird. I like it. So, um, yeah, Corsic Reality was born, and... That's that's kind of where the name comes from, and that's kind of, I guess, part of my journey into game development and where it started for me. And it's it's funny, after
0: playing a few hours of Infliction, I can see the echoes of Gone Home in there, somewhere in there with their method of storytelling through memories and whatnot. But before we get even get to Infliction, I really want to unpack this idea of, you're out there and you decide that you want to create a game and develop something special and you decide to go solo and make it yourself all while working other places as well? You're a one-man studio,
1: dude. <laughs> yeah, it was not without its challenges. So, yeah, it's it started. Um, I started studying and I started studying game development. Initially, I was working as a designer, big telecommunications company, and I used to design interactive, like, training stuff for them and um so you know there's a lot of transferable skills in the job i was already doing so when i jumped in the game development you know i met a lot of students that were a lot younger than i was mm-hmm. and they were all really you know excited to create a game so you meet people and you team up with a couple of people from time to time but yeah i could never find uh, anybody to team up with that was at my level that was particularly committed to anything mm-hmm. um you know, you'd, they'd say like, "Oh, I want to start a project with you because, I like, you know, I, you know, I like hanging out with you. I want to, I want to do that." And I'm like, "Yep, that's that's cool. Let's give it a shot." And it would never last longer than two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually I got to the point where um, I'm studying and um, I just started creating something uh, on my own. Uh, it started out actually as a template. I was just going to make a template. Mm-hmm. And um, I was learning Unreal Engine; hadn't used it before. So, Infliction is actually the first project in Unreal, I guess, that I had ever created. Mm-hmm. So, I, I jumped in and I got started with that. And I was, yeah, so I was working full time, studying full time as well mm-hmm. uh, in the evenings, and started developing this game. And I became a father during this development time as well. So, yeah, it was a really, really busy time in my life, and. It's kind of, yeah, it's just kind of insane when I think back on it because I still don't have any time, but I don't have as much going on. So, yeah, I, I guess we, um, we fill the space provided with whatever we're doing.
0: Absolutely, man. And I would imagine having a child somewhere in there while you're working on a project. And, of course, Infliction came to PC first, and it's now at the, it's the extended cut that's available on consoles. Uh, but when you talk about that time being... You know, utilize and making use of it. What's your day to day like? You don't have a team that you're working with on infliction. So, what was your day to day like? You, know, you wake up and say, I'm going to make sounds or work on this art. Like, what do you do? <laughs>
1: um, well, for, for the longest time, I think for the first year and a half of development, uh, my daughter was born. I was working full time, I was studying as well. So, infliction became something that I just did in the evenings and weekends. And For the startup development, it was a lot of, oh, I I wonder if I can make this particular thing work, you know, whatever idea I had. But mostly I was just trying to make gameplay mechanics and getting, like, you know, a a working environment that you could move around in that could tell a story. And that was, you know, for for quite a while uh, what the project was. And at some point, you know, I, I decided on the story. Uh, along the way there, and and, and start implementing that. But I think the day to day is more interesting, a little bit further into development, because uh, my 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 uh, my design job at this telecommunications company uh, they let me go, and they gave me a big severance package, which was how I was able to fund and develop Infliction from there on out. Mm-hmm. I became a solo developer for. About, when I say a big payout, it was probably about half a year's salary, so it wasn't it wasn't that amazing really. But um, for me, it was, um, it was something, you know, it was a chance mm-hmm. to go off and do what I wanted to do. And uh, the day-to-day for me often looked like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a planner, so I've got like this whiteboard in my office and I write down all the tasks that I need to do. And based on how much money I had, I figured out how many months I had until I had to finish the game. So a lot of the features were sort of pocketed into like, okay, I've got, four weeks to work on this one feature and if I don't hit that mark then I'm going to run out of money. Came down to sort of granular planning so any particular day if I was going to be working on AI I would usually carve out like a month for AI or something like that Mm -hmm. and then I'd break that down into weeks and days. I'd have my day planned out for me and yeah it, it became difficult. I mean a lot of, a lot of the time, um, particularly when you're learning new things, um, mm-hmm. it's very hard to scope the time. So yeah these days we' we'll often get up very early and work until the wee hours of the morning and then sleep for a couple of hours and do it all again the next day. So
0: Well, how long from start to finish did it take to develop infliction initially for PC?
1: So, the initial development for PC was three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about a year and a half part-time uh, while I was working, and then it was another year and a half full-time, but I would say in that year and a half full-time, it's it, I probably did close to two and a half years' work mm-hmm. in that time, mm-hmm. um, which was a bit crazy. But like I said, I'm very limited financially, so... Um, I was just trying to get it done, and um, in the end, you know, family ended up helping financially as well, Mm -hmm. which was um, a godsend. Uh, Yeah, it's very, very difficult to do these things without some sort of support, so, yeah.
0: Well, we often hear about that kind of story when it comes to indie games and smaller titles that, you know, funding is a big challenge, the day-to-day, making ends meet, all while trying to craft your passion and bring it to gamers is... Initially when you were planning to bring it to PC, was the console space in your mind and I asked that question leading to, you know, what about subscription services like Xbox Live, uh Gold or Xbox Game Pass? Do those enter into your mind at that stage of development?
1: Uh they they do. Um I think when it comes to console development, that's kind of it's kind of the dream, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I came from this as a console gamer primarily. Um, like I played Gone Home on PC, so you know, had a PC and gamed on it. But, um, you know, like right before I started studying game design, I, I spent a lot of time sitting in Far Cry 3 level editor on um, PS3 mm-hmm. at the time. And, um, you know, when, you, when you're when you thinking about going on this journey, you're thinking, like, wouldn't it be cool if I was able to play my game on the PS3 mm-hmm. in my lounge room on my TV? So, you know, that's kind of the dream. But, um, yeah, when I was starting out, I was just developing for PC. Um, I did have it all in mind. I mean, I contacted Sony and Microsoft, um, you know, got my hands on development kits, and I did all of this um, pretty pretty close to the end of the PC development, I, I suppose. Um, Chris, there was one other thing I actually wanted to say about um, the day-to-day of solo development. Yeah, so one one other thing about being a solo developer is um, quite often, if you need a piece of art or sound, um, you have to make that work yourself. So um, when I studied game development, I studied for uh, design, programming, and art. So I did a lot of different sort of um, things there. Uh Yeah, when it came to things like programming and AI, I had no idea how to do that when I started. Um, So I'd have to build Mm -hmm. time into the development time to try to figure it out as well. So you know, I'd block out like a month to build my AI and get it behaving and working right. And um, it's interesting because the things you assume are really difficult like everything's difficult really. But the things you assume in your head are going to be like insanely difficult because you don't have a very good grasp on maybe some of the fundamentals in the first place. Once you get into it, you find it's not as difficult as you thought. And some of the things you assume to be really easy are a lot harder than you think they're going to be. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, it's just about being adaptable, flexible, and trying to figure out, um, you know, the quickest way you can get to something that you need, uh, whilst doing it on your own. So, yeah, if you need to study a little bit of sound design to get some sound working for you, then, yeah, that's what I'd do.
0: Well, there you go. And we'd started to to answer the question, but let's go back to it. As you're making and developing this game for PC, you... Do you have the consoles in mind? And again, I ask that question to lead to, you know, was Xbox Live Gold or Xbox Game Pass an idea or a revenue possibility in your mind? Is that something you look forward to? How do you do you mentally prepare for those things going forward?
1: So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when you're starting our development, um, no matter what, uh, for, for me specifically, I, I want to get it onto every platform. Um, so I, I did contact the con, uh, the um, platform holders early on, and um, ID at Xbox have been fantastic as well. Um, mm-hmm. It was more of a dream, though. I knew I was going to be on a release on PC, but um, the, the console stuff was a bit of mysticism to me, uh, particularly when I was learning game development. Mm -hmm. So I think it was the dream, but I'd also, you know, I'm a realist as well. So in my mind, I was was certain I was going to come out on PC and um, didn't really know where to from there. I didn't know how it was going to be received. Um, Didn't Mm -hmm. know if it would even be worth putting time into developing for consoles. So, you know, it, it becomes one of these things that you hope it will happen. But you sort of need to play it by ear and and be flexible around it as well. Um, I did a whole heap of research and everything around it while I was um, developing the PC version, but my primary focus was on the PC to begin with. And, you know, if that was successful enough, then sort of starting to think about the console stuff a little bit more. And, um, yeah, certainly um, Game Pass wasn't... When did Game Pass start? I don't think it was around when I was developing in the first instance, but I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, timeline-wise, it sounds like that wouldn't have been much of a consideration at that point. Whilst you were making Infliction, I wondered if perhaps during extended cuts, you know, a timeline, perhaps you looked at that or that's something that's a possibility. Really, just because subscription services have seemed to provide new life to the indie space.
1: Absolutely, yeah, it's it's definitely something that... um, you know, the, the publisher, um, so I ended, up, I ended up with a publisher as well. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later on. But mm-hmm. it's definitely something the publisher has looked into, I guess, on, on, on my behalf. Um, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's definitely a consideration because, you know, you get on Game Pass, they'll often provide some sort of um, financial compensation for that and, That sort of money in the bank is, you know, that's everything to an independent developer to be able to continue to make the next project. So um, we've definitely considered stuff like that and very hopeful that we'll uh, be able to participate sometime in the future here pretty soon.
0: Absolutely. So now you teased it. I feel like we'll touch on it now before we get to Infliction itself. You also work with a publisher. You're you're published by Blowfish Studios, and yet you work there as well. It's got to be a cool, neat little conundrum to work through.
1: <laughs> it's kind of strange. So uh, when I was looking for a publisher, I, um, I got in touch with uh, Blowfish and – Introduced myself and said, "Hey, you know, I um, I developed this uh, this title. Would you guys be interested in publishing?" And they came back very quickly with a resounding yes, um, which was very encouraging. Uh, I then, you know, I came in. I met the team. I got to know some of the guys, and uh, they offered me a role here to help out on some other projects as well as sort of oversee console development of Infliction Extended Cut, uh, which I. Gladly accepted. So, yeah, um, my day job currently is uh, working as a game designer at Blowfish Studios, and uh, on top of that, I'm also a solo indie developer for Corsic Reality, so, uh, yeah, I run my indie studio stuff during the evening, so...
0: What a neat tightrope to walk and yet at the same time be exposed to multiple sides of the industry. That's that's fantastic. Now let's get to Infliction. We've beat around the bush just enough, and it's because I am scared to talk about it. I've put several hours into your first-person horror title. I've been jump-scared a few times. The level of tension is palpable. Uh, tell me a bit about creating a horror experience. What drew you to creating a horror game?
1: Funnily enough, I have not played a lot of horror games Mm -hmm. myself, which is interesting because my game will often be called out as being inspired by certain things, and and sometimes they're right, but often the games that are called out for being the inspiration I've never played before. So that's always an interesting sort of... Okay, Okay. so
0: I'm thinking as the player, I'm thinking Layers of Fear or PT. I got ideas of Gone Home or... Uh, Outlast at various points. So are are those games you've not put hands on before or hadn't played prior to, apart from Gone Home?
1: Of those games, I've only played Gone Home. (laughs) Um, That's amazing. I've I've seen P.T. being Uh played, and obviously P.T. was definitely an inspiration because I was already developing something set in a house. I wanted it to be horror Um, I wanted to have story elements uh, delivered like Gone Home and then PT turns up on the scene while I'm toying with all these ideas and is more or less exactly what I have in my mind for horror Mm -hmm. in the home. Um, Layers of Fear, I've never played it and never seen Mm -hmm. it played. Um, Outlast, I've never played it. I've seen a handful of clips, but nothing really. Um, I actually tried to avoid a lot of these other games because i didn't want them to subconsciously inspire me but i suppose the flip side of that is like as a horror developer you come up against particular problems you know you're in a hallway you've got to figure out what what could happen here that'd be interesting and mm-hmm. creepy and i suppose uh the developers of those games came up against those problems before i did and years later i've come up against the same problems and come out with similar mm-hmm. answers. So um yeah it's it's definitely interesting and um I sh- I really should actually get uh, get get make some time to try those games out because um they're highly acclaimed horror games that um my game has similar elements to 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 too so definitely worth me checking out um yeah for sure what
0: a, what a neat conundrum that I I I'm just I'm fascinated by that because in many ways you did come to similar solutions, and in many ways, you you have things in common with those games, and Infliction seems to do some things better, other things it could learn from. That's, that's the nature of art and game design, and what a cool uh, parallel there. Now, let's talk specifics. Uh, lighting and sound design... Uh, Seem to play a huge role in how you create tension for the player, and you chose to put that player in first person. Can you talk about that choice to be in first person, and then how you utilize lighting and sound
1: design? Sure. Um, The first person choice came very early on. Um, A lot of it came from being able to put yourself in the shoes of the character a little easier, I think, uh, which works better for horror, specifically. Um, And it depends what you're going for, I suppose. Um, In the third person, I feel like when you're playing as the third person, I'm not playing the game as myself necessarily, Mm -hmm. um, or I'm not putting myself fully in the shoes of the character. I'm looking at it more like, you know, if I'm afraid in a third person game, I'd be afraid for the character, maybe not Mm -hmm. for me, if that makes sense. Um, And, yeah, and from the first person, it just feels more personal um it also feels a little more claustrophobic you can have things happening around the character and um they need to turn around to see it but they don't have a very good view around them whereas in third person you can actually see the back of the character you can see what's in Mm -hmm. front of them to either side you have a much better sort of view of what's going on and there are ways to deal with that i mean a lot of games do it really well uh like resident evil for instance but uh, yeah, uh, that was sort of my choice for first person there was just to make it uh, a little bit more immersive from my perspective, um, just to have the player, you know, associate themselves with the character mm-hmm. a little bit more.
0: And when it comes to lighting and sound design, that has to be a challenge and also probably a bit of a joy because I noticed, you know, the character in Infliction doesn't turn very quickly. So there's a sense of, of concern if I want to turn or walk around a hallway or open a door Speed, lighting, sound I can only see but so far ahead. How did you decide these these levels and go about adjusting it?
1: Yeah, I just I just played through until I got the desired effect. Often I would visualize something in my head. And a lot of times that would be, you know, driven by sound more than anything else. Um I'd picture in my head like, Oh, it would be creepy if we were in, you know, locked if I locked the player in a particular room and Anything they could see is a shadow moving across a wall, but that shadow was also making a lot of noise and uh, sounding like it's surrounding you, coming up behind you, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, yeah, with with sound, it's 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 an interesting question to answer too, because a lot of the time I'll have a vision in my head, and, and but it's not until I put all the pieces in place and sit with it for a little while, and tw- you know, I just continually tweak it, but um, yeah, often, like, I'm, you know, I've got to be in the moment and feel it. And uh, I figure if it sort of makes me have, like, goosebumps or chills a little bit, particularly with the audio, um, then it's going to work a lot more for somebody that's looking at this from the outside in because it's impossible for me to scare myself with this stuff, obviously, because I'm making it. And Once you know how the sausage is made, it's a little bit difficult. So, um, yeah, I just get in there and I, I feel it. I think more than anything, and that comes, and it's not an, like it's an ensemble, right? It's the sound, it's the lighting, it all comes mm-hmm. together. Uh, it's the location, what you're, you know, what the player has um, experienced up to that point as well is very important. Um, I tried for the longest time to withhold the, um, you know, seeing the, the antagonist for a long time, well, mm-hmm. as long as I could at least anyway, uh, to up that tension even more because a lot of it 's got to do with you know not seeing them and wondering where, where they are and what they're mm-hmm. what they're up to
0: and you mentioned not being able to scare yourself does that mean that you know at a certain point you had to bring others in to see how they reacted to certain scares whether they be jump scares or ambiance uh,
1: yes and no I mean i don 't have any real gamer friends or anything like that, so this became a really difficult challenge for me. Uh, about halfway through development, I met some other game developers that I became friendly with, and I would show them some things but it 's still quite difficult you know if you 're showing one or two people a thing, whether it scares them or not fear is such a subjective thing i don 't scare very easily i don 't think my friends do either necessarily so you know i'd I'd show a couple of people and we'd we'd go over it a little bit and um You know, I'd I'd sort of tighten it up a bit. But the biggest boon for me, actually, was um, I I did a Kickstarter. And it was only a small Kickstarter, but I did did a Kickstarter right before the PC launch. And it was to uh, get a little bit of funds to help me polish some of the animations Mm -hmm. up and to um, garner a small community sort of going into the Mm -hmm. launch. And so um, during this part of this Kickstarter, I released a demo. And that demo... Uh, did quite well on YouTube. Um, you know, it's a, it got picked up by a couple of really big YouTubers. So, um, you know, it got, uh, it, got a, it got a lot of views and a lot of traction. Um, but in watching the demo, I was able to see, like, it's, it's a little bit difficult to separate sometimes because sometimes you'll get um, YouTubers or, or um, content creators that sort of um, overreact to a scare because they need to entertain their audiences mm-hmm. as well. And, um, you need to sort of be able to separate that out, but I could definitely see in them, particularly when you notice like a common thread, um, what areas were working more than others and then sort of lent heavily into that. So what I had noted from, uh, watching the demo being played was, um, it's a lot less about, you know, any particular jump scare and it's more, it's definitely more about, um, like the audio design really, um, was where people were finding it for them so I lent a lot heavier into the audio design to the last little mm-hmm. bit of polish um, so that's where I focused a lot of the effort towards the end um, but in answer to the original question it's really difficult to make horror on your own and re- releasing it like yeah I'm never 100% sure I was sort of leaning on the demo and that particular demo um, was a very good representation of the full game, and it did quite well, and people found it creepy. So that was was good enough for me that I was on the right track, and it allowed me to focus on the things that worked mm-hmm. most about it.
0: That's so interesting to hear, and I, I'm thinking back to my moments of tension, and you're right. It's not the jump scares. They're the fun, memeable moments or the ones that perhaps influencers that are uh, on streams might, might – champion and show off your game well because they're good clips but for me it's the tension that's built in the lead up and that's where i tended to get uh most scared for lack of a better description i was nervous throughout my time with infliction uh do you take joy in watching these these influencers streamers players get scared is that fun for you
1: <laughs> um it's it's an interesting question. I don't I don't watch a lot of people stream or play the game mm-hmm. specifically. Um it is difficult for me because I'll watch a stream and I'll just I'll just see the things that are wrong or um they'll do something I didn't intend and I'll I'll see someone trigger a bug I didn't mm-hmm. know existed. So like when when I watch it it's um for me it's more of a technical exercise. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of a strange experience. Um I'm also, you know, quite A shy person. So I always feel really weird when somebody like will call out my name or sort of, um, yeah, talk about me in any capacity. I sort of like, you know, I'll start to blush and go, okay. (laughs) So much
0: so that – and just to put you on the spot and do that exact thing, you thought of removing your name
1: from the credits you were telling me. yeah. It was an interesting thought that I had had. I, I thought I I want to remove myself from this game and almost have it be created by like a faceless entity. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd have a couple of different effects. Actually, I thought first and foremost, you know, I can remove myself from it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then the second thing I thought was like, well, that's kind of cool in a way because it builds up a little bit of mystique, like who the hell made this game, sure, right? Yeah. Um, but then the game got awarded. Uh, like a PAX Indie Showcase award in Australia before it launched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my name got sort of put out there, you know, straight away. And I had to exhibit the game at a show. And I I'd considered going there like thinking like, oh, maybe I can go anonymously, like disguise myself or something. I don't know. But um, that was such an impractical idea that, you know, I, I abandoned it pretty quickly and just sort of embraced like, okay, well, all right. I'll put my name in the credits and, I, yeah, <laughs> I'll just own it at this point. I'll got no choice. so what, yeah. a,
0: what an interesting thought. The burdens of success, they do weigh heavy, often on creators and creative minds. So, so tell me this, uh, Clinton. Looking forward, Caustic Reality, it exists. You've got Infliction Extended Cut uh, out on consoles. You have Infliction over on PC. You have a release for Infliction coming to Nintendo Switch down the line. Is, is game development something you want to continue with, given that you also work at a, at a, on a publishing side as well now? What's next for Caustic Reality and for
1: you? That's a good question. I have a few projects in mind that I can't, I can't really talk about yet because they're still very much in the incubation phase. I would love to continue to develop. I would love to make something else. Mm-hmm. It comes down to a lot of different factors, but basically it comes down to what happens to me in life. Being solo is, you know, the whole thing rests on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. If life allows me to continue with solo development, I most certainly will do that, Um And look, to be honest, uh, no matter what life throws at me, you know, I found a way before while I was working full time, studying and having children and being, you know, a husband and sort of doing the whole life thing. And somehow I sort of fit the game development into that. So I think, regardless, uh, you will see something more from Mm -hmm. me as a solo creator. If I have my way, I'll have a little bit of help on the next project. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, solo development's a pretty tough gig yeah i'm also going to be working on a bunch of projects so hopefully um you know you'll see some interesting projects come out from blowfish as well that'll have my sort of thumbprint on them i guess also so yeah uh yeah be working on Indie games and larger games. Well, see that
0: that gives me hope and curiosity feeds. I know they're in the incubation phase, but I do wonder and I look forward to finding out whether or not they will be horror-based titles or explore something else that you've done. Can you tell uh, the listeners where they can find you if they want to find out more about Caustic Reality uh, and you know where yeah where to
1: find you? Tell them that. Sure. Uh, on social media, I'm at Caustic Reality on Twitter and Facebook. And I have a website, CausticReality.com. So check them out. I've got a blog there as well. If you're interested in sort of like my thought process through development, um, I wasn't always regimental with releasing them, but I released them pretty regularly. So, you know, it sort of covers a lot of the smaller things. I tackled some more granular detail. If you're interested in that, that's there too.
0: Brilliant. Well, Infliction Extended Cut available for 19.99 over on the Xbox Store and the PlayStation Store respectively on PC is Standard Infliction and coming soon to Nintendo Switch.